0: We are in a series called The Armor of God. We have, I said last week that today would be the last lesson, but actually there's one more, I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. This is a series helping us go through the season of warfare. Anybody been a little bit more tired than usual? Anybody gone through a few more battles than usual? It's because we're in a season of warfare. Um, but it's not a season. It's not something to be afraid of. God is inviting us to battle just like he did with the Israelites going into the promised land. Yeah, they were going to fight, but God already given them the victory. So God is teaching us how to fight so that we can take ground. Um, if you would look at the screen, Ephesians 6, 10, this is the, the passage for our series. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love this verse. We don't have to be strong by ourselves. We don't have to lean on ourselves. We don't have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can lean on his strength. He then begins to tell us what that strength looks like. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is why the armor is important because the devil is scheming against us. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. He said, we don't, you're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your boss. You don't have disagreements with them. You have a, you have a battle with the enemy who has gotten a hold of their mind. If you're walking, listen. If you're walking in unforgiveness, if you're walking in anger, if you're walking in hate, if you're walking holding a grudge, the enemy has has, uh, sneaked, snuck into your mind, taken a hold of your heart, and is controlling you because that is not a fruit of the Spirit. So we're not wrestling against people. What we're supposed to do is take a step back and begin praying and say, God, would you give them wisdom? Would you give me wisdom as I deal with this situation? We're fighting against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what our fight is about. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. This is an encouraging word. Once you put on the armor of God, you can stand firm knowing that nothing is going to bring you down. Then he begins to describe what the pieces are. We've already gone through five of them. We're going to talk about the sixth one today. Verse 14. Stand therefore. Once you put on these things, you can stand. Stand therefore, having already fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and a shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shoes of peace. And take the, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flame and darts of the evil. And we learned last week that when you read arrows and darts in the Bible, it's actually talking about words. Words are psychological weapons of warfare in the Bible. And this is what the enemy throws at us. And then it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're going to talk about the sword today. Praying at all times. This is why we're going to have a lesson next week. This is the last one. Prayer is not listed listed in the armor, but it absolutely is a weapon that God has given us. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So, quick review. We have the belt of truth. Why is the belt important? It's called truth because it's the first piece you put on. You cannot stand on anything other than the Word of God. It's why we start. It holds all of the armor together. And, it, and then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness protects our heart so the enemy doesn't have access to it. Then we have the shoes of peace. Why, are, these, why, are, uh, why is, are the shoes called peace? Because every step we take, we can be sure that if God is giving us his peace, we will stand firm and we won't slip. How many of y'all want to have the assurance that when you take a step, you don't have to second guess yourself? That is an amazing Uh, tool that god has given us and then the helmet of salvation i believe that or the shield of faith the shield of faith helps us when the enemy is attacking us and trying to convince us that our situation is helpless that we say no my god will supply every need i have we pick up our shield the helmet of salvation helps us remember where we're going we're gonna this life doesn't end with with a with a lost job doesn't end with a death Eventually, we're going to end up in heaven, so we put on that helmet to protect our mind. And so today we are talking about the sword of the spirit. Look at Ephesians 6, 17 one more time, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. real quickly, before we pray, the sword of the spirit is the word of God." I'm really excited about this message today, because I believe. ...that uh, God is going to give us some insight. The first five pieces that we've looked at are defensive. Are, are defensive. The helmet, the shield. It's for when the enemy is coming after you. But there's going to come a moment in your walk with the Lord... ...where you're going to have to pick up the sword and go on the offensive. And we're going to have to do it a little bit more often than we think. But I promise you, this is a weapon that will silence the enemy as he's coming against us. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you for today... God, we say this is about you. This service is about you. It's not about me. It's not about these people. It's not about the graduates, Father. This is about you. We pray that you would be glorified in praise, And, Father, we give you permission. And this is really important. If you want the Holy Spirit to speak, you have to give him permission. Just like you have to give him permission to come in your heart to be saved. Say, Jesus, I give you permission to speak to my heart. I give you permission to move some things around in my mind that are out of place. If there's some wrong thinking, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are moments in our lives where we're going to have to go on the offensive. The Roman sword was called a gladius. Gladius. We get the word gladiator from this word. Y'all seen that movie, Gladiator? Gladiator. You've seen different scenes um, depicting that. They're called gladiators because they wielded a gladius, which was a Roman sword. This sword was known as the sword that conquered the world. Back this is Throughout history, it's known as the sword that conquered the world because of how it was crafted and designed. Interestingly, soldiers wouldn't just carry a sword. They would also carry a smaller sword. Uh, a dagger, they would also carry one. This is what's interesting. They would carry spears, but they were one time use spears, which means once they threw it, it was done. So you had to be pretty good at it. They had a couple one time use spears, and they also had uh, some darts, some lead-weighted darts. But the Apostle Paul doesn't mention any of those things. He only mentions the sword. And the sword was, pro- was shorter than you probably think. When you think of the sealed sword, you think of maybe... Uh, King Arthur's Excalibur, that long sword or broadsword, the sword is actually only about 18 to 30 inches long, so about about that long, about about <laughs> yay long, 18 to 30 inches, depending depending who was making it. It was two pounds in weight, which means it was very light, but it was also very very sharp. It was a double-edged sword, and the point of the sword was needle sharp. It could pierce through armor very short sword but very sharp the uh, both sides and the, and the points it was designed small listen for a reason because it was perfect for hand to hand combat it was used for when the enemy would come in your face quicker before you could before you could bring up your shield, before you realized what happened, the enemy would come at you, and so the sword had to be small enough so if he was right in your space, you could pull it out and use it against him, and it was very effective because the enemy uh, wouldn't see the sword because it was so small, so when he came up to you and you took it out and stabbed him or, or, or came, came against him, he wouldn't understand where that weapon came from. You see how that worked? It was made short for a reason, very sharp, so that it was perfect for hand-to-hand combat. It caught the enemy off guard. Listen. God has given us pieces of armor to help us when the enemy attacks. Right? He's given us the shield. They had, they had arrows, darts. He's given us a helmet. He's given us these things to help us. But when the enemy is in your face, you're going to have to pick up something that is strong enough to come against him, you're gonna to have to pick up the sword of the Spirit. It's not gonna be enough just to lean on defensive pieces. You're gonna to have to pick up the sword of the Spirit and say, Get off of me, devil. Get out of my space. Get out of my mind. You have no power. Listen, when fear, when fear arises in your mind, you begin to quote the verse Psalm 56:3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, uh, I, in this I take up. What can flesh do to me? I shall not be afraid. This is what this is what happens when fear comes. When fear has anyone been overwhelmed by fear, overwhelmed by anxiety, overwhelmed by whatever? This is where you have to take up the sword and, and pick and begin to yield it. You ever been anxious? Do not be anxious about anything, Philippians 4 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have thoughts of I'm not gonna have enough. I'm not I don't know if this paycheck is gonna cover everything. I don't know if I'm gonna get paid this week. I don't know if I'm gonna have a job you ever feel worried or anxious about if you're gonna have enough. Philippians four nineteen and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, when the enemy comes into your space, you're going to have to need a weapon that you're going to be able to pull out and use quickly to come against him and say, "Get off of me, devil! You have no authority in my mind. You have no authority in my life. I know what the word says, and I will put these thoughts to rest." There are moments in our lives where we're going to feel overwhelmed. The shield is not going to help. The helmet's not going to help. You're not going to be able to headbutt the the enemy. You're going to have to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen to this. We pick up the sword of the Spirit and begin to cut down every evil thought that would try to overwhelm us. This is what the sword is for. Has anyone ever felt overwhelmed before? I've asked this already a couple of times. The reason I'm saying this so much is because I want you to understand that when you're in those moments of desperation and feeling overwhelmed, this is the weapon, this is the piece of armor that has been given to you. I've never dealt, I don't think I've ever dealt with um, uh, like anxiety, like long-term anxiety. I know many people in here have, but there have been moments where where I have felt anxious. There have been moments where I felt like if I don't get some relief in the next few moments, I don't know, I might lose my mind. Anybody been there? I think all of us have. We've been through situations. It was in those moments where the Lord said, go to my word." What verses do you have memorized that deal with this situation? I began to quote the word. I would, what I was doing, I was picking up the sword and directly coming against the darts of the enemy because the enemy, he is patient and he is precise. He knows exactly how to attack. He knows exactly when to attack you. And so, yes, the other pieces of armor are really important, but they're going to be moments where you have to learn to pick up the sword and listen you cannot pick up the sword unless you know the word of God I'm going to say this at the end but the Bible is a little bit more important than you realize he is very interested in making you think well I don't understand it so I'm not going to read it well I don't have the time I'm going to just pray he would love for you to leave your sword at home because if you do you have no power over these anxious thoughts. No power. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how much meditation you do or it doesn't matter what you do. You have no power. The enemy will overwhelm you. The sword is the only thing that has the power to overcome here. Now, in Ephesians 6, it says that the helmet of salvation is the sword of the, is, I mean, the, sword of the spirit, is the word of God. In the New Testament, there are three, uh, three definitions or three Greek words that describe word of God. So when you read word of God in the New Testament, um, it's translated from three different Greek words, which means there are three meanings for Word of God. So I want to go through those really quickly. The first one is the Greek word graphe. Graphe. It is the words on the page. When, so when you, when, if you were able to read, read Greek, you would read the Word of God. You'd read graphe in some places. In certain instances, the word of God means the words on the page, the ink, the paper, the literal book. And so it'd be like saying, Okay, my Bible, if I had my Bible with me, which is in my office, I could pick it up and say, This is the graphe. It is the literal pages, it's the ink on the page, it's the leather binding, it's that is the word of God. The second definition for word of God uh, in the Greek is logos, that is the message of the graphe in John 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Anybody know that verse? In the beginning was the word. That is the word. When you see, when in beginning was the word, that is the Greek word logos. This is is interesting. I don't have time to go into this, but it says Jesus is the message of the book. I love this. So many people try to create a formula to try to come to God. Well, you have to go to church. You have to be baptized. You have to do, yes, all those things are true. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the incarnation of the word. If you will come to me, I will show you how you are to live, how you are to walk, how you are to be saved. So that's the second Greek word. The third Greek word is rhema. And this word means the utterance of God, the spoken word of God. Rhema means, um, when you read this word, it, it means the action of God speaking. It is the words coming out of God's mouth when God actively speaks. So we have the graphe, which is the literal book. We have the logos, which is um, the message of the word. What's in the, in the grafe? what's in the book. And then you have the rema, the word of God. It is the action of God speaking his word. And God is still speaking. Do you know the word of God is active and alive? So we have the Bible, but God is, is in, in the supernatural, he is consistently speaking his word, which means it is alive. This is, the, this is what Ramah describes, the active word of God. So I want to ask you a question. In Genesis 1 verse 1, when God said, let there be light, what happened? Light came into existence. When he said, let the dry land appear, let the land be separated from the waters, what happened? That's what happened, Right? God's word, that was the rhema word, God spoke out of his mouth and the matter had to obey him. Now, we don't know what that looks like. We have Genesis 1 that kind of gives a description of what that is. But when God spoke, things changed. Look at Hebrews three eleven, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by, there's that phrase again, the word of God. So that what is seen, what we see with our eyes right now, was not made of, out of things that are visible. What do you think the Greek word for that phrase word of God is? Rhema. It is God speaking by faith. God spoke, or we understand, but God spoke out of his mouth and the world was created. This is really important. If you can, if you hear this, you understand the power of the sword of the spirit. When we use the sword of the spirit, we access the authority and power that God used to create the world. Man, when we use the sword, uh, listen, the Bible is a little bit more important than you realize. When we speak the word of God, when we, when the enemy is overcoming us with fear, with anxious thoughts, when we pick up the word of God, it has the power to stop the enemy in his tracks because we're accessing the same authority and power that God used to create the world. Anybody struggle with depression? Anybody bound to fear? I know a lot of us are because I know I've been in certain instances. The word of God has the power to break the chains off of you. I'm, I'm totally convinced of this. Because in the moments in my life where I've felt like doing the wrong thing, going the wrong direction, the Word of God comes and rescues me and gives me the power to stop every lie that the enemy puts in my mind. When we pick up the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, it gives us the power to overcome everything we think. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the sword of the Spirit, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit of joints in a marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You ever wonder, was that thought that just went through my head God or was it me? Was that thought that just went through my head, was it the devil or was it God or was it somebody else? Was it what my, what my, my friend said, what my spouse said? Whose thoughts are these? The word of God has the power to separate them so that you understand where the thoughts are coming from. I wish I had my Bible with me. I don't, so I'll use this. The devil is very interested in this, your word, sitting on your coffee table, sitting on your nightstand. He's very interested in you just skipping over it every day. Because if you skip over it, you have no power when the enemy comes against you. Because the devil, how many times does he try to overwhelm us throughout the day? When you have the word, when you are studying, when you're reading, when you have memorized it, he cannot overcome you. Yes, he will attack you. The devil, God doesn't, uh, God doesn't promise that he won't attack us. He promises that we can have the victory over him. What is the relationship with the Bible? Several years ago, I've shared this story before, before, but several years ago, I had to make a decision. I'd been living for the Lord for a, for a long time. I may even have already started pastoring kingdom. But, I was struggling in, in my walk with the Lord as it pertained to reading the Word, as it pertained to getting up in the morning and praying. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to get serious about learning to yield my sword, serious about putting on the armor? Or was I going to continue down this life, this, this walk with, my, with the Lord that was, was good but wasn't as effective as it could be? And so I began to, I began to walk with the Lord this way. I said... When I, when I would say, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if I don't pray, if I don't read, it doesn't matter what I do the rest of the day, it's a failed day. Right. I had to get to that point in my mind, and it wasn't easy because I was already doing a lot of things, but I had to get to this point where I said, it doesn't matter what else I do today. If I don't have an encounter with the Lord, then everything else is for naught. Once I begin to do that, I begin to get victory over different areas of my life. I begin to read more, I begin to pray more, I begin to experience God more. I begin to experience His provision in different areas of my life. The other day, actually last week, um, anybody use the U version? And they keep track of how many times you read. If you have like a streak going, right? Anybody familiar with that? Well, last week I broke my, my streak broke, and I was like, oh my! And I already had like several months, you know, of reading every day. And I was like, man, I I was feeling down like that's that's a horrible feeling to see like so many days in a row. And then your streak just ends. And I was I was really down. I was a busy day um, and no excuse, but I just it was just a busier day than normal. So I opened up my Bible the next day and the verse of the day was was this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I, and I feel like the Lord said, Josh, I see your heart. I know it hasn't been, I know you probably should have spent some more time with me yesterday, but I see your heart. I see the commitment you made. There's no condemnation. Get up and keep walking. Keep picking up your sword. Keep putting on the helmet. Keep putting, picking up your shield. Keep fighting. What is, your, what is your relationship with the word of God? Is it an option? We can get so nearsighted. We can get so distracted. The Word of God is our life. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 4. We're going to end with this story. Matthew 4, verse 1. This is the story of the temptation of Jesus, the testing of Jesus. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. If you have your phone and then you have your Bible app on there, I want you to turn there because we're going to get in the habit of picking up our Bible every day. To be honest, I don't, I don't read my Bible. Uh, I, I, don't, I have several uh, book Bibles, but I read my Bible extensively on here. This is where I read it. So this is a great, our cell phones um, are amazing tools. They can be very useful or they can be very destructive. I, guarantee, I, I really ask you, if you don't have your Bible app, a Bible app on your phone, please download it and put it on there. Matthew 4, verse 1. This story illustrates the power of the sword of the Spirit. It doesn't, this, you're not going to see the phrase sword of the Spirit in this, in, um, in this story, but it's definitely there. As I was studying, I realized that this interaction between Jesus is, is an interaction between Jesus and Satan, the lover of our soul and the enemy of our soul. Would you all agree with that? That Jesus is the lover of our soul and the devil, the enemy. As I thought about it, I could think of only one other conversation between God and the devil, and that was in, in Job. This is the only like detailed conversation between God and Satan. So I think this conversation is pretty important, right? I, I, this is, the reason I'm saying this is because we're, gonna, we're going to see um, why the sword is important and why Jesus, God allowed this, because I'm sure Jesus and, and de- the devil have had conversations all throughout history, right? But there was a reason why this specific conversation made it into the Bible. Just a little context. Jesus, in the previous chapter, had just been baptized, and he had heard the Father's voice. What did he hear? This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Okay, verse 1, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Then, uh, look at the first word, then. Then what? Then after he was baptized and after he heard the Father's voice. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So essentially, Jesus didn't get saved. He he showed us what it meant to follow, to follow the Father, to be baptized, to give your life for Him. He didn't, he didn't need to be saved, but He gave us that example. But He showed us a pattern. He got saved, didn't get saved, but He went through those steps to model it for us. Then He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Has anyone ever given your life to the Lord in the next week? You start seeing some trials, start seeing some trouble. If I was Jesus, I would probably have been like... What are you doing, Father? Why are you leading me into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Do you know he'll lead us into tough situations? Do you know the Holy Spirit will lead you into tough situations? Some of y'all are getting upset and angry because you're in in a situation you don't like. Do you know the Holy Spirit probably put you in that situation? Why? Why do you think he put you in that situation? For you to grow. Look at James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, trials teach us to stand firm with Jesus so that we realize we have everything we need in Him. They teach us to stand firm with Jesus so that we realize we have everything we need with Him. It's one thing to know, to be taught, that God is a savior. It's another thing to experience his salvation. It's one thing to know the right thing to do. It's another thing to do the right thing. I was talking with somebody just yesterday and we were talking about life and just kind of mistakes we made and just how frustrating it is for us to know the right thing, but we don't do it. And we were talking about our early early years, teenage years, uh, getting getting to 20, 21, 22, and just like, how come we didn't listen? How come? And I thought, well, it's, and this analogy just came to mind. It's one thing to be taught that a stove is hot. It's one thing to be told it's hot, it's hot. It's another thing to put your hand on it and get burned and realize, oh, it's actually hot. And to believe it's hot. Can I encourage you? Don't wait to go through the painful experiences of life for you to believe what the Word says. Don't go through these things. A lot of time, I heard Pastor Robert say one time that people say... Um, Experience is the best teacher. It's not the worst teacher. It's the cruelest teacher. The Word of God is the best teacher. Listening to wisdom is the best teacher. Don't wait to go through these things till we, till we learn. Well, we, this is what Jesus was about to learn. This is why he had to go through the wilderness. Yes, he was God, but he was also man. He had to model it for us. Verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the attempt, he fasted 40 days, didn't eat anything. And a tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Okay, couple, uh, this is the first attack, just a couple of um, observations about about this attack. Number one, Satan attacked where Jesus was weak. He attacked where he was weak. Jesus was hungry, and so Satan comes along and says, hey, since you haven't eaten 40 days, there's some big stones. I bet you if those will make good-sized pieces of bread. Why don't you turn those into food so you'll eat it? Say in tower, where Jesus was weak. Let me ask you a question. Where are you weak? This is where the devil will attack you. I mentioned this a couple months ago. I have no problem with alcohol. I've never, I've never really drank a whole lot. The devil will not attack me there. He will not try to get me to go to a bar. It won't do him any good. But he'll get me in other areas. He'll get me to not rest. It's very hard for me to stop and and just rest. He'll get me in other places. He knows where we're weak. This is where he'll attack. But we're going to see that God had a solution for him. Uh, The second observation, Satan tried to make Jesus doubt what the Father had told him. Look at verse 3 again. If you are the Son of God, this is so good. We didn't read it, but in the previous chapter, he heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my Son With whom I'm well pleased. This is this is just like the devil. Has anyone been in prayer, or you read the word, or you got some revelation, and you were excited, and you were encouraged, and then the devil came the next day or the next week and said, "Did God really say that? Did God? I, I think you just made it up in your head. No, God wouldn't say that. Who who are you that He would say that to? Anybody? Am I the only one?" This is, this is one of the tactics of the enemy. He will try to get you to doubt what you have heard. Look at Jesus' response, verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by, by it, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. I'm going to look at it right here. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. This, this wasn't just words that Jesus said. He was quoting some verses he knew in his mind. And he, uh, Deuteronomy eight verse three says this, "And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everywhere that comes from the mouth of the Lord." What is this verse about? You can leave that verse up for a second. This verse was describing the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the promised land. They were in the wilderness, and because they didn't obey the first time, they had to go around for 40 years. He said it was in the pro- listen it was in the wilderness that God had to train the Israelites to not rely on their own ability to give themselves bread or to give them water to give them anything. He was trying to condition them to lean on him before they got into the promised land. This is really important because how many times do we pray for things to happen in our life? God, would you give me a better job? God, would you give me children? God, would you give me this? Would you give me that? And we believe that when we get those things, those things are going to meet our needs. God was trying to teach the Israelites in the wilderness. Look, you don't live by bread alone. In the, he said in the promised land, there's going to be milk and honey and all these amazing fruits. But man doesn't live by those things. He lives by everywhere that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew this story and he recognized he too was in a similar situation. He was getting ready to go into full-time ministry. And, and he had to realize that he didn't have to perform the ministry on his own strength, in his own might. He says, I don't live, I don't need bread to do this ministry. I don't need whatever you think I need. I live on the word of God by every word that comes from God's mouth. I truly believe that Satan wanted Jesus to lean on his own strength to start his ministry. I'm going to say that again. I believe that the devil truly tried to get Jesus to lean on his own strength from the beginning because he knew, Satan knew something about ministry. It's very heavy. It's very, it's, it is very heavy. It's, it's tiring. It's a burden. And that's something I've had to learn along the way. I love Kingdom Church. I love each of you. I love teaching. I love leading. I love these things. But several, a couple of years back, I had to say, you know what, Lord? I actually got to a point. I went a vacation the year after we started, and I went away and I said, I don't care if the church has burnt down when I come back. I need to go on this trip because I'm so tired. And the Lord said, now you're finally getting it. This isn't yours. You're not the owner. I'm the owner. You're just the leader. Yeah, and the leader is very important, but I, this is my business. This is my church. This is my body. I'll take care of it. This is what, even though the devil was coming against him, the father was using this to teach Jesus. You don't lean on your own strength. You lean on me. Jesus recalled this word to his mind and was able to defeat the enemy. Now look at verse 5. This is the second attack. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, listen to this, Satan picks up the sword. We're going to read the verses in a second. Picks up the sword and tries to use it against Jesus. He said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. This is, these are verses in Psalms. We're going to read in a second. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. You have to realize, you have to understand that the devil knows the Bible too. Why is that important? Because he will take verses out of context to make you do something that is not in God's will. This is a silly example, but I remember when I was a kid, I was like 14 or 15, and um, this kid said he was, he needed, <laughs> he needed some help. He, he said, one time I, he said, that's, uh, he said, Philippians, um, was it 413? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Don't know that verse. He said, that's my favorite verse. And he said, um, it's my, it's so much so my favorite verse that one time I jumped off of my roof thinking I could fly. I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember thinking, even as a kid, I was like, okay, that is out of context, big time. That's not what the word is saying. But this is what the devil will do. I'm speaking in, the, in my situation, um, being single, there's a verse that says, it's not good for man to be alone. Do you know if I was talking to somebody or dating somebody and I wasn't trying to do God's will, that the, the devil could come along, speak that verse into my mind and say, hey, it's good for you to not be alone. Just go ahead and marry her. Go ahead and date her or do whatever. That's my situation. What's your situation? The devil knows the word of God and he wants to deceive you so that you will do something that is not in God's will. And we've done it. All of us are, have been guilty of that. So, should so Jesus have listened? He said, hey, if you're the son of God, because the Bible says that if he will command his angels concerning you and all their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone... Well, let's look at the original verse, Psalm 91, verse 11. It says this, For he will command his angels concerning you, look, to guard you in all your ways. Verse 12, On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike strike your foot against a stone. Go back to verse 11. Satan quoted the entire two verses except for one line. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, in all your ways listen it is true this was a verse talking about jesus that the father would help jesus in his journey in his ministry but it wasn't so that jesus could do whatever he wanted it was to do so that he could guard his ways to do what he was created to do what he was called to do to come to earth that is to go to the cross listen to this jesus understood something Jesus wasn't sent to show off his power. He was sent to show us how to rely on the father's strength. Amen. Leave that up for a second. The devil was trying. This is, what, this is what this temptation was about. He was saying, hey, if you're the son of God, show it off. Show everybody. Surely if, and he was in Jerusalem, it says he was in the holy city of Jerusalem. He was at the top of the temple. He said, if you jump off and they see you, not and they see angels come out of heaven and rescue you, you don't think they're going to believe you? Just do it. Jesus understood something. He didn't come to show off his power. He came to rely on the Father's strength for every situation. And he could have done it. Look at Jesus' response. Matthew 4, verse 7. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. This is interesting. Jesus reminds Satan who he is. The divinity of Jesus had to remind the humanity of Jesus who he really was, the Son of God. This is very, very crucial. Jesus was both God and man, 100% God, 100% man. But as a man, he had to fight the same battles that we fight so that he could show that he could lead us through every trial and every situation. Jesus had to quote the Old Testament to remind himself who he was. And he says, you don't have the right to tempt me. I'm the son of God. But this was the divinity reminding the humanity. Are you with me? I know that's a little tricky. He had to remind himself. How does that relate to us? When we are attacked, we have to remind the devil who we are. We are the sons and daughters of God. You may tempt me, devil. You may come against me, but you have no authority in my life because I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the Most High God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. We don't have to use our own strength. That's the amazing thing about that revelation. You're not a son of whatever your last name is. You don't have to prove yourself. You are a son of God. And this is what Jesus said. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I know who I am, and I know his strength in my life is more than enough. Those are the first two temptations. But I really believe, the scripture doesn't say this, but reading it and studying I really believe this. I believe that the first two temptations were trying to condition Jesus for this final one. This is what the devil was really after. The first two were simple in that Satan was trying to get Jesus to rely on his own strength and not the Father's provision, on his own power and not the Father's strength. But the last temptation had to do with the very reason Satan got kicked out of heaven. We're going to read it. Look at Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, this is the last time the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is the reason Satan got kicked out of heaven, because he was the worship leader of heaven and There was a moment in history, we don't know, or not history, but a moment in eternity where the devil was leading worship and the the hosts were singing and he said, I'm going to receive the praise for myself. That very moment he was kicked out of heaven because it was his job to to reflect it back to Jesus, reflect it it back to the Father. The devil wanted to be worshipped. He was probably the most beautiful angel that has ever been created and he thought, I'm worthy of worship. So this is what he was after. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, is Satan delusional? What do you mean? Doesn't everything belong to God? Satan is promising Jesus the world, literally. And he's saying, but doesn't God own everything? Isn't he the owner? Well, last week we learned because we live in a fallen world, sin entered the world because sin we sin we now live in a fallen world which means a savior needed to come along and to rescue us before you were children of god you were children of the devil before you were sons of god you were sons of the devil this is what the word says we and how many of y'all know people who act still act like it have acted like this still act like it right it's supposed to be a little funny okay (laughs) jesus had to come to redeem us. What was Satan trying to do? Satan was trying to bait Jesus to take a shortcut. He's saying, look, because Satan knew the, knew the scriptures. He knew why Jesus was put on the planet. He knew he was put on there to go to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. He said, Jesus, if you will just bow down this one time, I'll give you these people. I'll give you the world so you don't have to go to the cross Remember, Jesus was 100%. God, he was also 100% man. How tempted do you think that was? If you knew your journey, if you knew what the end of your life was going to look like and you were going to be put on a cross after healing countless people, saving countless people. But you know what the, the truth is? That was a lie. Satan is a lie, and, and Satan, pretty, he's pretty stupid because Jesus also knew the scripture, and he knew that Satan has been a liar since the beginning. Even if Satan wanted to give Jesus the world, he couldn't because only a perfect sacrifice could redeem us, could satisfy the wrath of God. This is so interesting, and I realized this last night as I was studying. In the final temptation, listen carefully, Satan flipped the script. What was the first temptation? Temptation. Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these loaves into bread. This is what Satan was say. Hey, you have the power to feed yourself. You have the power to take care of yourself. Just turn that rock into bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. The second temptation. Hey, Jesus, you're, you're the son of God. Don't you know who you are? Why don't you just throw yourself off? Everybody will be amazed. They'll start following you. Why don't you flex your power? Why don't you show off? Why don't you walk in your own strength? Again, trying to bait Jesus To to exercise his power, Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The third temptation, he flips it. He says, this is essentially what Satan said. Jesus, you're not strong enough to go to the cross. If you bow down right now, I will rid you of that burden. This is so interesting to me. He said, first one, turn the stones into bread. Exercise your power. Jump off. Because you're the Son of God, they'll rescue you. The third one, Satan said, You don't have the power to go to the cross. You don't have the strength. Look what, and you know what? Jesus recognized because he survived the first two temptations, because he saw the Father's provision. I truly believe that within himself, he said, You know what? I don't know how I'm going to be able to go to the cross because I know God took care of me in these first two. I know he'll be able to give me the strength. I need to fulfill my destiny to go all the way to the cross. Listen, because Jesus didn't rest on his own strength during the first two temptations, he didn't have to rest on his own strength during the last temptation. And it was very tempting. James 1 verse 2, it says, Count out all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I believe it was the first true trials that created this steadfastness in Jesus for the last one. Listen, it's important for us to obey God in the small things, to lean on God for his strength in the small things. Because if we're not careful, we don't lean on God to take care of our bills or to, to do whatever. When the big things come along, we'll try to exercise our own strength, but we're not strong enough to. This is why we lean on God's strength every step of the way because we're going to begin to go... He's going to lead us into territory where there's giants. He's going to, he's going to lead us out into deep waters where we've never swam before, where we've never navigated before. And if we learn to trust Him in His strength, the first, whenever it is manageable, when it is unmanageable, we'll be, able, we'll be able to stand in His strength. Look at Jesus' last response. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is basically what Jesus said. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God. We only worship people or things that provide for us. Some of us are worshiping our jobs because we work longer hours than we should. Some of us are worshiping our kids because we believe they can give us what no one else can give us. You only worship those things that that we believe will provide for us. This is what Jesus was saying. You're only supposed to worship God because he alone could give me what I need. I can't give me, even though I am the son of God, I cannot give myself what, what I need. Only the father can. Why do we go through that story? Listen, by using the sword of the spirit, Jesus defeated the devil himself with only three verses. A man, yes, God, but in that sense, he was a man. The man of God, the son of God defeated the devil himself. A lot of times we think when we're tempted that it's Satan. It's not Satan. He has a whole legion of demons and fallen angels. Some of us are so weak, he can send his lowliest demon and we will fall over. Jesus defeated the devil himself with three verses. How important is the Bible? It is the difference between life and death. How do we pick up and use the sword of the spirit? This is how we've ended every, every message. By committing every day to study God's word and store it in our hearts. I want to ask you a question. What is your game plan when it comes to the word of God? I've asked this all throughout the message. Because let me tell you, I lo- between praying and reading the word, I love, I love praying more. Because you can feel things. Reading the word is not glamorous. Reading the word is not easy at all. Many of us, we think, what am I reading? But it is absolutely necessary. It is work. What is your game plan? I encourage you. I mentioned New Version earlier. That is a a great Bible app that has different plans. It will keep you accountable. It will even let you do plans with other people. It gives you all the tools you need. But you have to get a game plan or you will stay in bondage to fear. You will stay in bondage to anxiety. You will stay in bondage to all these things. But God has given us a weapon that when the enemy comes against us and tries to overwhelm us, we can say, get off of me. Get away from me. You have no authority and power. Look at this. Psalm 107, verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. This is how we are saved from our destruction. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Verse 104, through your precepts, through your word, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And this is one of my favorite verses, 165. Great peace have those who love your law, your word. Nothing can make them stumble. Do you want to be able to go through life without falling into fear, falling into anxiety. Value the word.